0: Captain Deckard Shaw. His bold actions saved the lives of hostages and his teammates. Recommendation Victoria Cross. The highest honor the British government has ever given. Something about this whole thing that just doesn't add up to me. in another life mean you could serious damage yeah we could yeah. i'm what you might call an ice cold can of podcast and welcome to a zero credits supplemental reading of the fast and the furious presents hobbs and Shaw. My name is John. And my name is Fast Henry. And if you thought after eight episodes of this bullshit it was a joke, we've got some news for you. It's been a year, and it's still not a joke. Still not a joke. If tattoos could be applied to the, the surface area of my brain, the skew f- would have a large portion of just... Surface brain area. My brainstem would have a Fast and Furious sleeve at this point. As you are aware, I'm assuming that you, like us, jumped from the last entry of the Fast and Furious franchise into this one, meaning you listened to the last episode of the zero-credit supplemental reading series of the Fast and the Furious, skipped all episodes for the past year, and now you've ended up at this episode. Honestly, you haven't made a terrible decision But just to remind you, it has been a year. So, for supplemental readings, we will talk about something, a Fast and Furious movie in this case, with no regard to spoilers. Uh, We will talk about it openly and freely, for we deem it to be, and it is, very important. We expect you to have seen it before you keep listening, so why don't you go ahead and we'll make the same joke that we always make, pause your phone now. Continue to watch Hobbs and Shaw in the theater. Then, as soon as it ends, hit play, hit, hit resume, and then we can continue our discussion. And then you should purchase tickets to another showing of Hobbs and Shaw so you can watch this as kind of like a fun, like, director commentary over Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Though this podcast almost definitely won't be as long as Hobbs and Shaw It'll is. It'll definitely be shorter. Uh, almost definitely two hours and 20 minutes. A long movie. A De- long movie. Definitely a long movie. So, I think without further ado, we can just kind of get into it. Now, those who are fans and have listened to the previous installments of this Supplemental Reading Series will know that for every Corona that is shown on screen during a Fast and Furious movie, we vow to match them, Corona for Corona. And we were we were all caught up. And then John happened to go on the ride. The the Fast and Furious experience. At Supercharge. Supercharge at Universal Studios, and there's five coronas on that ride. So the actual math is we finished the Fast and Furious mainline franchise up one corona. Yes. There is a six pack, ah. not in the ride, but in the pre-ride experience. That's right. And I decided to count it because uh, a lot of the cars in the pre-ride experience are actually from the movie. I figured they carried, like, the cannon with them. I, I think you're right. It, it might be supplemental to the series, but it's not supplemental to our hearts. And therefore, that six-pack counts. And so, we are going to drink tonight at least five, maybe all six, Uh Corona Extra. But this time, there's a twist. This time, we have a lime. A literal twist of lime. Yeah. Uh, yes, this is something that uh, th- I want to come clean and say that post the Fast and Furious Supplemental Reading series, I actually became a fair-weather Corona drinker, and that I'll have one maybe once a month, maybe twice a night. Uh, and typically when, when encountered with a list of pretty unexceptional beers or during like a happy hour... Uh, I'll, of course, go for a Miller High Life because that is the best cheap beer. But, uh, if I want something new or if that's not available, I've actually turned to Corona. There is a part of me that enjoys the corny, corny taste of Corona. And in that time, I've learned that Corona drinkers, habitual Corona drinkers, will put a wedge of lime into the the neck of the Corona, submerge it into the drink, sometimes flip it upside down depending on how much, uh, how much of a show they want to make, and then enjoy it that way. And this is a first for us. Yeah, so I, we're going to try it. I I don't actually remember what Corona tastes like, so this is going to be a new experience. It's been a while. Let let me just say, hello darkness, my old friend. And let me say, here comes the kryptonite. That's a line from the movie we're talking about. It's Certainly is. Oh, the smell! Oh, immediately! It's oh, it's very pungent. Right? Oh, Jesus! I'm Christ. gonna hand you off a lime. Give me that lime. You put it in the bottle and use your thumb to like. You use push your it thumb in. to push it down, and then it plops right in. And these are pretty soft bit. limes. All right. Oh, the lime adds a nice. It really makes a nice it aroma it makes it to the smell, the, the awfulness oh, of the, uh, of, of the. I don't trust my thumb. Oh, do we want to do the flip upside down thing? No, absolutely not. Because so, I've got tiny, tiny baby I'm gonna, hands. Anyone can do it. I'm going to try to teach you to do the flip upside down thing. Okay. So you insert your thumb into the bottle. Into the bottle. And then you move your thumb up to create a seal up to, like, your fingernail, right? Okay. And then... I have a baby thumb. <laughs> and then try to rotate it. See if any beer comes out. And then when the lime's at the top, rotate it back down. No, beer came out. Oh, no. And usually there's some positive pressure. You just sprayed me in the face. (laughs) Oh, no. That's fine. You also tasted Corona while I was doing that, so you had a full sensory experience. Yes, the smell, the (laughs) the sight of Corona into your eyes. That's how it feels at you, 5Gum. This Mm. is actually not that bad with the lime. With the lime in it, Corona actually tastes... There's a... It's decent. So, you were asking me about... Too much of this podcast will be about Corona. You were asking me about the Corona Extra. Yeah. So, pretty much every Corona that you will drink in your life is going to be a Corona Extra. Because the popular one in America is the lager version, which is Uh, Corona Extra. Okay. Things have been added to it to make it more bitter. Whereas uh, in other parts of the world, and in Mexico, the other kind is Corona Familiar, which you might remember as the 32-ounce giant Coronas that we drank. Those were actually not that bad by the time we got done with them. They're less bitter, for sure. Uh, but yeah, that is the Corona Extra. And then you run into Coronitas, Corona Refrescas, Corona Premieres, Corona Lights. Yeah, There's a lot of Coronas. Well, all this Corona talk just wants me to get one thing out of the way. Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good beer, actually, with the lime in it. I'm yeah. actually having a very good time. I just want to get one little bit of housekeeping out of the way because it's not it's it's actually the first disappointing thing about Hobbes and Shaw. There's no Corona in the movie. Yes, there is absolutely no corona. So going into this supplemental reading, we stand to regain we stand to tie or regain our lead against the Fast and Furious franchise which is no small feat considering that it has billions of dollars uh, the talents of Tyrius Gibson and Dwayne the Rock Johnson behind it. Uh so this is a this is a real Cinderella story, real Cinderella story, two men versus an entire media franchise that has spanned a decade. And multi-million dollars worth of revenue. We even had a slight handicap by a series of what I like to call a devil's wagers. Yeah. Where we drank the entirety of a Belgian Trappist-style uh growler. Uh, it was a bomber. More of a bomber than a growler. Rather than drinking Corona for one movie. Allowing them to get ahead of us. And we still caught up. We still caught up. You can't keep... Two men with will, power, and families behind them down. You, you can't. Family's the most important thing, as we've learned over and over again. So, no shout out to my family who's really help, helped me get through these coronas. And this trying time, I... I owe all of them dearly. Every time, I don't know why they respond this way, but every time we crack into these coronas, I text my family, I have a group chat, and I say, I'm drinking again. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, oh God, why? <laughs> they say, oh God, why? Which I understand, there's some friendly ribbing. Uh, and then they said, we'll help you, we'll get you help, and I know that they're sending me their energy, giving me the ability to keep drinking and then they say, "Come home, come and home." I, yeah. I think that means send the coronas home by yeah, finishing them exactly. Send them to heaven. We're gonna send these coronas to heaven one bottle at a time. I think it's time enough stalling. Let's get into Hobbs and Shaw. Yes, or right, more more accuracy, more accurately without the S. Let's get into the Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. So going into this movie uh, with the assumption that all of our listeners. Have seen it. I have, uh, pretty, pretty strong opinions about this movie at this point because I, uh, coming out of Hobbs and, Shaw, and I I think maybe you can relate. It was during a vacation. There was a lot of drinking and eating. I felt like shit. I was drinking constantly, but I was never drunk. It was great. Uh, <laughs> my stomach was very full from all of the fun that we had. Yes. And also, my eyes are very full of the spectacle that the movie <sighs> presented, and my brain was a buzz with. With a lot of emotions. I, coming immediately off of seeing Hobbes and Shaw, I was very kind of giddy. I was very like high with the experience. And then something that I think maybe you can identify with is, at least for me, the more distance that I get from the movie, the more seemingly like credible kind of criticisms, or at least the more things I have to talk about. Because when you're when you're presented with Hobbs and Shaw, which make no mistake, I think that this is probably the highest spectacle Fast and Furious movie by a pretty wide margin. Yes. I mean, Fate of the Furious did have cars fighting a submarine that shot missiles at them, sure, uh, but they really doubled down on this one. This is the biggest spectacle of all Fast and Furious movies, I feel. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this film. Because like you, watching it, I was all a tizzy. I was all drinking in with my eye mouths. The the delicious amooj-boosh and and smorgasbord that that was this movie. But then as my eye mouth started to... Or I guess my eye stomach, which is my brain, started to digest the movie, uh, I, I guess I got a little bit of... I don't know, not brain indigestion. It's just... I could think about it more clearly with distance, and it's this film is fascinating to think about. Uh, I totally agree. For me, the, the more distance that I have from this movie, like I said, I come up with what I consider to be credible, I guess, criticisms, but I've never felt this way about any of the other movies in this universe, except... Some of them, given enough time, I recognize their, like, cultural relevance greater than their, like, in-the-moment artistic merit. And then I think about them differently. But the actual, like, the actual meat and potatoes of this movie, as it moves throughout time in my mind, it shifts. So, I, I do want to, like, give props where I feel like props are deserved. Absolutely. Uh, and not to rehash the plot. But the first, like, third of this movie? Mwah. Italian-French kiss. I I really... I would, I do want to give shout-outs to the first half... The first, like, third of this movie. A lot of really cool stuff happened. The opening shots with the the split-screen day-to-day life of both... Sha, ha, Sh- ha, ha... And can, Shobbs. Wow. Can, Hobbs and Shaw. I think that was really well done. Because even if you had never seen these two before, you're getting a lot of character up front. You know, the, the very Britishness of Shaw and the very muscle-y version of yes. Hobbs. You're getting to know these people and their tendencies very well, and you think, "Oh, this is a neat way to introduce them." And then it just keeps going. You, you like you, you think it's just going to be their their workout routines or their breakfast routines, but then they both get a call. They both go to a job, and then we get like cuts back and forth of them pulling off this job. In a way that lets you know, all right, so this is who they are. This is what they do. Now we've seen them separate. we got to push them together, basically. And and even when they're pushed together, I feel like... and, And in the early scenes, the thing that it reminded me most of is the prison break from Fast and Furious 8, where you got to see... And this happens a couple times during the movie where Hobbs and Shaw are physically separated yeah. facing the same obstacles. So you get to see how they solve it in their own ways. Because the what Fate of the Furious got out of it and what Hobbs and Shaw really traffics in pretty heavily is this is a like character study. It's a study in how two characters solve identical problems. Uh, and I feel like moving out of the first third of that movie, that kind of breaks down and becomes more amorphous, which is where it kind of loses me. But, like, seeing these characters deal with problems in completely separate ways is very cool. It's not even as literal as it is in that, like, montage of their days next to each other. But even when they're, like, when uh, Brixton kidnaps the Hattie and they're, like, going down the building and, like, shows them both solving problems in a different way. And that comes back in the movie sometimes. It's what we liked in Lord of the Rings when you see, like, uh, Legolas and Gimli fighting the same enemy Yeah And they're different ways It's like you've got a barbarian and a rogue Going against similar obstacles And they've got different skills to tackle it And that's basically the driving force of the movie With a lot of mean-spirited insults Thrown from character to character Yeah To keep us laughing long enough to realize that They really have no reason to work together I and, and props where props are due one of the things that the the initial like job that they complete, which actually like ties into the remainder of the plot, which is cool. Uh I didn't init- initially I did not initially think that it did. Uh but Yeah. That's another thing we'll talk about, the plot of this movie. Number one, uh these are taking place on the same day. Uh but they're also both during the day, and one of them's taking place in California, and one of them is taking place in the UK. Uh... So they're basically, if my math is right, either 11 hours apart, technically? It is impossible for them to take place at the same time of day, and yet inexplicably they do. Yeah. Uh, I do want to give props to what I consider to be maybe... The smartest line of the film, actually, it's the smartest third of the film. It's quotes Nietzsche inexplicably with a Nietzsche callback, but also uh, Jason Statham's line of "I'm what you might call a champagne problem" is incredible. Okay, I thought that was just sort of like a a throwaway line because he was holding a bottle of champagne. How is this line incredible? The line is incredible because it's, it's juxtaposed to the, the rocks on what you might call an ice-cold can of whoop-ass. And then... So, champagne problem is like an extremely antiquated phrase to mean problems that are insignificant compared to the problems of, like, hunger and poverty and the rest of the world. But it's a super antiquated, like, upper-crust British saying that's such a cool thing for that character to say. It's classy, it's to the point, it's tongue-in-cheek. Such a good line. I really like that. Nice. And I, I, I totally went completely over my head, but uh I, I like that there's... A layer there, you know. There's some depth because, for the most part, I thought a lot of the the Hobbs and Shaw movie was was a lot of surface eye candy, you know. Yeah. Surface. This is what you want. This is an action movie. Explosions, fighting, with some really good themes that I, I guess we're going to talk about later. That kind of like, oh yeah, yeah. Thinking of back back on it, this whole movie is about blank. Yeah, I I think that. The, the first third, so many good things happening in that. Uh, I love that The Rock <laughs> wakes up The Rock. Luke Hobbs. Mm-hmm. Lucas Hobbs. Lukey Luke. The most Polynesian name in the world. Uh, I love that he wakes up, hits his alarm clock, and I thought this was going to be a throwaway. But there is just, a, there's just Nietzsche. I don't know what Nietzsche book it is, because it's just a book that says Nietzsche on the spine, <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever read the book called Nietzsche. Is it by Nietzsche, or is that just the title? <laughs> He's like, I've been reading Nietzsche. Oh, like, uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra, Echihomo. No, just no, a book called Nietzsche. I got it at the airport. <laughs> I just It was just a book that said Nietzsche, some guy with crazy hair was on the cover. It was, it was at the register by the Hudson News. Do you think that, uh, who in the Fast and Furious franchise do you feel like is most like Zarathustra? I am not familiar (laughs) with Zarathustra. (laughs) Zarathustra basically is a man who went up on a mountain, attained enlightenment, and came down to the world to tell people how shitty they were and the god was dead. Probably The Rock. I don't know. No. Because Dom was evil in Fate of the Furious. And it's got to be Dom. Dom's the Zarathustra. Yeah, and then he came back and he's like, people are shit. Also, like, my baby and my... Dom d- is the Zarathustra, no doubt. That's neither here nor there. The first third of this movie, I feel like, was tightly constructed. Uh It gave you a, a good sense of who the characters were, and it set up a little bit of the... the Breadcrumb trail to the lar- the plot at large. Yes, so I I, I also want to applaud that because I it sucked me in, and it was done so well with like the the, the different color palettes between the, like the very bright Los Angeles and the very subdued nightclub of London. Like everything about it was was composed very well, well shot. We we rarely ever talk about like film composition, but it's that's a topic I'm getting more and more into these days. But I feel like everything that you know, the Lucas Hobbs character was shot with his character in mind. Everything with the Deckard Shaw character was, was shot with his character in mind, and they're showed at the same time or cut between each other in a way that starts the the audience getting familiar with both of them intertwining. Yes, and knowing that they've got their separate ways of doing it, but we're going to see them in action at mm-hmm. the same time, even though they're literally impossibly across the world from each other yes. simultaneously yeah and uh, the the things that i thought were uh the things that i thought were most <sighs> the first third of the movie did something that i didn't think the fast and furious series could do at this point and this movie fails at doing this later but it introduced characters and fucking good characters so, like, the introduction of Vanessa Kirby as Hattie Shaw. Yeah. Uh, which you don't discover until the latter part of the first third of this movie. Uh, Vanessa Kirby is amazing. Vanessa Kirby is incredible. Her characterization in this is great. Hattie Shaw's a great character. I 100% agree. The second really great character introduced, I feel like. And, you know, I just like this actor and I want to see him in everything. But the Ryan Reynolds character, who in her... Who in her Inter interacts with uh, Lucas Hobbs felt so well-placed. And I'm pretty sure they just said, Hey, Ryan, uh, do you want to be in a movie? And he was like, yeah, sure. And they are like, okay, in this scene you got to do this. And then they let him run. Yeah. Like, he did, He just does the Ryan Reynolds thing. But it works so well because Lucas Hobbs is 100% serious on the job. You know, like, he, he's so 100% everything he is. And then you throw a Ryan Reynolds type at him, who works apparently for the same people. But he's so, like, jokey. He's so, like, we're best friends. I've got the same tattoo. Mm-hmm. I, You know, so, like, insistent. Like, oh, man, we're the same. You know, it's like looking in a the mirror. They play off each other so well that even though it's just Ryan Reynolds and he's not really, like, becoming a person, becoming, like, a character, I 100% was like, yes, get me more. Let him be in the movie. I'm in total agreement. I thought that the Ryan Reynolds character was great. Uh, the thing that the, the introduction of the Ryan Reynolds character and kind of this larger world, even when we like start to see a little bit more of Shaw's family life, Dame Helen Mirren, of course, back. Returning. Playing yeah. Mama Shaw. So good. So good. Uh, but the, the thing that really jumps out at me as far as these like characters that are introduced, it's a feeling that's pervasive in this movie that really struck me that I, I did not think the movie would, like, have the ability to bring to bear. And I don't know if it's, like, a totally inconsequential, unintentional thing. But the feeling that I get from this movie is... The Fast and Furious movies are about escalation and the world has escalated to a point where the world is insane. Yes. Not just the, the people are superheroes, which is what I thought it would be, but in fact the world every year gets crazier and crazier to the point where everything that's happening in the world is insane. I think you mentioned it's it's kind of like George Miller's Mad Max and that and Mad Max every subsequent movie gets more and more desolate. Yes. And in this one in this the f in the queue at large it's kind of like half steps. I feel like because there's more movies, of course, mm-hmm. and so the, there are these half steps to this escalation that we thought it was just isolated to the f- the fast and familia. We thought it was just them having insane insane lives because they are who they are. But what you're saying is like this this universe getting larger, showing that no, no, it's the world. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's every everyone's life. It, it's is not this over the top. It's not that what we've been seeing with this land is where the crazy is. It's every life is crazy. Every life. This Ryan Reynolds character has existed, has a story, has probably gotten insane at the same rate that everyone else has. And it, it was it was really it was just fun to watch because I was like, oh, this world's insane, and this movie totally gets it. And I think it's time we see like a parallel Earth universe. That is just like, this is the action movie universe. This is the fuck you. This is the Fast and Furious cinematic universe. Everything is like this. Yes. This is not, you know, this is just the world. This is just a fact. Like, I I want the news to be like, you know, you'll believe what's happening today because (laughs) it happened yesterday and it will happen tomorrow. Yeah, it is not the most insane proposition in the world that there is (sighs) doggy. I got limey. You got your limey break. I didn't get anything on the couch, though. Uh, this one's huge. That's too much lime. You have to squish. It's oh, why good. would you take... That's the not good lime. Oh. That's the not thin enough lime. Well, why is it on the cutting board? Okay. Okay. Wife squabbles aside. Uh, anyway. Ooh, this boy's sinking. So, the, uh... Oh, that's a good lucky lime. Uh... The the takeaway that I got from that character was, yes, the world is crazy, and that's fascinating to me. Uh, but also, one thing that I did me- mean to mention up top is the uh, director of this. Oh, who directed this? David Leach, one of the co-directors of the first John Wick. Nice. Who went on to, re- to direct Atomic Blonde and Deadpool 2. He did a really good job in Deadpool 2. I've not seen it. Maybe that's why he brought in the Ryan Reynolds. Maybe. Maybe that, that's why. They made good friends. Uh, but he, he directed those movies. And then uh, the thing that I think eludes him, and it's going to be part of my larger criticism about this movie, is I think that uh, at least from this and from Atomic Blonde, he's not great with like big set pieces, but what he nails is fights in dark rooms. Which is fine. Uh, the This movie, especially in the, the first third, has an amazing fight in a dark room. And that is when Shaw discovers Hattie's apartment yes. and is ambushed by the Etion goons. Uh, that's a frickin' amazing fight. It's so good. You know all the stuff in that apartment's all used. Uh, all of Shaw's fight scenes are great. I love Jason Statham as a performer. If you think about, well, yes, absolutely accolades to him. But if you think about the, just the first half of the movie, you've got, of course, Hobbs and Shaw. They get their own little dark room fight scenes. Hattie and her team of MI5 mm-hmm. has a fight scene against, excuse me, has a fight scene against Idris Elba and his goons. Brixton, whatever his last name is. Young. Young. Brixton Young. That sounds like a college or something. It really does. Yeah. Um, But uh, you've got that fight scene. Then you've got the, of course, the apartment fight scene that you just mentioned. Like, all of these fights, it's like he knew... Maybe the writer played to the director's strength. Because all these... Like, the first half of the film was so tight in its construction. All these fights are really well done. And that really draws you in. And then the third act, for some reason... Moves away from all that in this yeah. huge set piece that kind of probably is where a lot of her criticisms lie. But it ends again yes, in a tight fight scene. So my feelings about this movie is that the first third, I it would be very difficult for me to find problems with. The middle third, I have serious problems with. And the last third, I liked quite a bit... And actually kind of tied everything together. Yeah. Uh but the the one thing that I, I would like to say a little bit about the first third because it's very easy for us not to talk about this. Uh and I know talking about like plot inconsistencies isn't something that's interesting to talk about as far as Fast and the Furious movies, but do you mean to tell me that Vanessa Kirby and Jason Statham are roughly the same age and they were both born around nineteen seventy three? I guess. Fucking no way. Jason Statham is 54 years old. Vanessa Kirby is, like, 34. Oh. The fact that they are children together ch- in the past yeah. is insane to me. And Deckard Shaw, I think, is canonically, like, 49. Yeah. Which, that just means that Vanessa Kirby, Hattie Shaw, has aged very well. Super well. Like, congrats to her in that universe. I My biggest takeaway from this movie, one of, is I so badly want... Vanessa Kirby slash Hattie Shaw to be a fixture in future movies because she's so, so good. Hey, look, you have the Shaw family. I I don't understand the Shaw family. Mother Shaw, Sister Shaw, Deckard Shaw, none others, no other members of the no, family No, there's another mentioning. Shaw! No other... His name's like Owen or something. He's not played by the, the guy who looks like Orlando Bloom, but is not. Luke Evans. He's played by Luke Evans. No other members mentioned... I th- you guys claim that Helen Mirren's character Mama Shaw, Mama Shaw mentioned him. I guess I blinked. She said, "I remember when you three were so happy." Look, and that's You can't. It. You can't mention. So you Deckard, can't mention a character. Where is he? Deckard what Shaw, is he doing? Deckard Shaw references a brother twice? And in both instances, he is not talking it's, about his own biological brother. It's, that part infuriates me. Because, like, you're going to have the Shaw family together again. Where's Luke Evans? Mm-hmm. Where's Owen Shaw? Where's the bad guy of Fast Five? or Fast Set Six. Fast Six. Where's yeah. that guy? You know, the one who introduced us to the Shaw family? Yes. I feel like we owe him something. We owe him... A shout-out or, like, a cameo. We owe him something for introducing us to this great, talented crime family. So you're telling me that we owe him a shout-out? Yes. I don't know. Like, there's, there's things like that that must come down to, like, oh, uh, this this movie's hitting budget, can't afford another actor, or something like that. Some behind-the-scenes thing, like, oh, was scheduling, he wasn't available... That's like, well, if you're going to make this stupid... No, oh, that's a mean thing to say. If you're going to make this movie to begin with, if you're going to do the first spin spin-off of the Fast and Furious mainline series, you might as well go all out and get all of the Shaws, at least. Yeah, I... Absolutely. I I totally agree with you. And seeing him at the end of Fate of the Furious yeah, was he, such a welcome surprise. Like, and he was now... in Fate. And now he's gone. The dude's around. I don't think he died at the end of Fate. I don't think so. I don't remember. I don't remember Fate very well. Yeah, Fate was a blur. Uh, Shalice Theron got away. She did. Cypher. Cypher. So do we feel like that's enough as far as the first third is concerned? There's so much to like in that first third. Oh my god, their whole dynamic. Here's what I like about this movie a lot. The, The problem that I had is the idea that it would be predicated upon... Largely, uh, Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw getting over their differences and joining a team and then taking on the mission. That part where they get over their differences and, and choose to work together never happens until the very end. Yes. Throughout that entire movie, they are not working together. And that's, it, it's, it creates so many. I mean, it's true to their character. Yeah. The, the thing that made the prison escape in fast eight so compelling is like they both were independently motivated to pursue their own aims and ended up working together. Yeah. And then whoever wrote this movie, it was Chris Morgan, whoever directed this movie realized that that's the point yes. is that th- there's no way these characters can come together and then you can sell that story. They've got to be forced to be in the same place working towards the same goals but they are not working together. No. In fact, they're often working to each other's detriment because they do not care for each other. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that was really interesting that that's something that didn't happen until the very end of the movie. It's very interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting decision to make, like, the buddy cop film where the buddies do not get along. Yeah. This is, that's absolutely what it is. They, they begrudgingly work together because, one, they just happen to be in the same place for a majority of the film, mm-hmm. and two, it's like you know, they insist like uh, the the scene outside of the the black site where Idris Elba and his team has like taken it out. Uh, Deckard Shaw just happens to have a car, and he's like telling his sister to get in, and the Rock is like, "No, I'm going too. You're not leaving me." Like they insist on being together at least in the regard of protecting the acid, which is Hattie. Yes. And that is, like, the only context that, that's, like, okay, we just happen to still be together because you won't leave. Mm-hmm. And, th- like, they from that scene, they go to Deckard's bar and set him up with, like, fake IDs and stuff. And you're, like, oh, man, they're going to work together. And then there's, like, scene in the airport where his ID is flagged. And you're, like... Of course he's going to try to get rid of them. Yeah, like, because they they have no actual reason to stay together based on their character's ethos,es and they kind of nail that. It's like the writer, Chris Morgan, knew that this movie, to happen, he would have to write the anti-buddy cop film, in which, yes, they're working together, but they hate each other, and at every turn they're going to try to ditch each other. Yeah, because they have a vested interest in pursuing their own aims, for the most part. And then they're forced to work together much more closely going into the second half of the movie. Uh, and as long as we're talking about first, third, maybe this is the last thing we'll say about it. Idris Elba's character. Uh, Brixton. Young, young, whatever. Brixton Payne. Uh, Max Steele. What I got out of it, number one. Incredible motorcycle. Best t- best movie motorcycle that I can recently remember. That motorcycle needs its own movie. Yeah. Oscar for the motorcycle. Oscar for the motorcycle. The Hashtag. Su- the thing that surprised me is the character of Brixton. Uh, number one, I, I did not realize that this movie would be kind of like a transhumanist panic story. That was interesting. Which isn't a, a bad thing. I, I'm kind of like a soft transhumanist, but I think that Transhumanist Corporation... Uh, is a really interesting antagonist to put in The Fast and Furious because now you've officially made these movies sci-fi movies. Which is probably a a, a necessary step if we're going to get to space. Yes. But I think it's so interesting to see elements of cyberpunk in mainstream media because in cyberpunk everyone's got augmentations. It's just the norm. And this is like the beginning of that. This Mm -hmm. is the beginning of like the... The augmented human who is, you know, better than the average human, just because it's like, hey, I've got all these, this metals stuff in, in my, my body. It, it Interceptor's character is very interesting to me from a writing standpoint because they did something that I guess was necessary. They gave a past, a shared past between Deckard Shaw and Interceptor's character, Brixton Young. Mm hmm. That we, we've we never seen before. So we have to take it on their word that they have this past. Mm-hmm. And it has to be communicated only through words. We're not going to get a flashback scene. Because that didn't happen. This mm-hmm. movie's completely present. I don't know if that was like a, a writing thing. Chris Morgan doesn't believe in flashbacks. I think that can be a weak construction. So I, I, I tend to agree with them. But I just didn't really... I don't know. I needed to be sold more on that connection. I I still don't fully understand what their connection was, other than they were in MI six together. And at MI five, MI five, MI six is James Bond. Oh, you're right. Yeah, uh, and he is not the black James Bond. He is the black Superman. He is uh, black Superman. So the uh, the thing I don't know. I never get sold on their connection. Like I understood that there was a past there. But I almost felt like that was completely superfluous. Yeah, uh, it, It's kind of like we needed this villain to have a connection to somebody. So he just didn't come out of nowhere, I guess. But at the same time, it just didn't work for me. And because of that, for me, the greatness of his Ildris Elba, Elba, Jesus Christ, get your shit together, Henry. The genius of his acting, like the greatness of his acting was fell a little flat for me. In the moments where, where it was predicated largely on their interplay, I felt like those were pretty flat. One thing that I did enjoy though, is I feel like it would have been very easy to write that character as highly self-serious, something like Cypher, uh, because Cypher's not a very well-written character. She Cy- did not make many jokes. Cypher's got like a philosophy, but the, the thing that I like about Idris Elba's character that, that speaks to his like underlying motivations is he's, transhuman he's a cyborg and he likes it yes he likes having power over people to like a sadistic degree which is something that you pretty rarely see in like a sci-fi style antagonist one of the things that we especially in america are afraid of the most is like an evil corporation will rob us of our autonomy and uh idris elba's character brixton whatever brixton android uh young Brixton Young had total autonomy and he enjoyed it. He enjoyed being able to to mess with people and be stronger than them. And it allowed him a fair amount of leeway to be jokey and dynamic and seemingly have fun with it. And it's also pretty typical for people to cast Idris Elba in overly serious roles. So seeing him be able to be number one, a bad guy, but also have fun being a bad guy. Very good to watch. Very fun. Lore. Brixton Lore. What a bad name. What an awful name. Whatever. Blore. Blore. So much about that character is shrouded in mystery because they wanted to do the not reveal of who Etan, Etienne, who's running Etienne. But there's some good scenes between Brixton Lore and the weird waveform wall that is the driving force of Etienne where it's like, okay, he's not in complete control. Cause they threaten him. And he's like, is that a threat? And they're like, hey, no, it's a promise. Fuck you, buddy. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I mean, how do you set up a bigger villain? You have the new villain kill off the old villain. It's, it's, that's, that's, it's it's, it's, it's spoilers for Infinity War. It's Thanos strangling Loki you know, in the opening moments of Infinity War. that That's how you set up the bigger bad. I just feel like that's a waste of Hidra Selva. He yeah. needs to come back in some capacity. I want Hobbs and Shaw and Brixton. That's the sequel. Having having that character die, it, it felt like such a cop-out. We will talk about the latter halves of this movie. Yeah, let's get to the middle. So, one thing that I will say, because we're not going to... Come back to this. The Etion boss. Yeah. Uh, there are credits to this film, and we do know who voiced him. It's Ryan Reynolds. It's Champ Nightingale. In the credits, the Etion voice is credited to a Champ Nightingale. Are you familiar with Champ Nightingale? Is this going to be like a spoilery... Kind of reveal that you know who it is. There was once, wait, hold on, hold yes. on. I know who it is. Yes, Too Fast, Too Furious. There was a low level drug lord who Paul Walker and the ejectocito cuz forgive me, I can't remember Tyrese, Tyrese Gibson. Uh, they took out, and he was like, "I'm gonna be back." It's him. He's Champ Nightingale. He's back. It's fun. Florida will rise again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's oh, I hit the wall, painting. So it's, uh, once upon a time. It's not him. There was a brand of, I believe, scotch listed on Amazon. It had one review, one one star review from a verified purchaser named Champ Nightingale. Champ Nightingale left a very scathing review for this. He's not real. The. Champ Nightingale's not a real person. The owner of that brand fessed up to writing the Champ Nightingale review. The owner of that brand of I Believe Scotch is none other than Ryan Reynolds. So they used a nom de plume? They used a nom de plume for it to be Ryan Reynolds. That doesn't mean he's the bad guy. So do you know who the bad guy is? No. David Leach was interviewed about it. Oh, did he reveal it? He did. That's stupid. Uh Let me read the first sentence of the interview as far as who is the Etienne boss. Okay. Uh, Leach explained, speaking to THR, I'll be honest, there's no final decision. We just nice. wanted to leave it open-ended. Nice. That's how you do it. There is no answer. My hope, because he was very adamant that he was coming back and he has not yet. It's the the drug king who tortures people with rats and Too Fast, Too Furious. Please. Somehow funded this Russian, like, super tech thing, and it's him. And for some reason, Hobbes, he knows Hobbes. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's fair. He'd know Hobbes. So, moving into the second part of this movie. The second of three acts. The second act kind of dragged, man. So, this movie's long for sure stop hitting the painting Yeah, no she's she's done nothing wrong so the uh, the second part of this movie is where the movie really starts to drag and show its length i for the middle section of this movie was pretty much completely checked out i didn't ex- i didn't super enjoy it there's some funny things that happen I'm going to uh, posit to you the point where I think that the turning point happened for this movie, so I'd say the last like strong comedic beat for the movie going into this part was the like you said, the security check thing for them boarding the plane, which takes off the second leg of the movie where they're trying to hunt down this internal organ melting virus. yes, and after that they get on a plane and we get introduced to the harbinger of this movie's downfall, one agent fucking Dingley or whatever, Kevin Hart. Uh, uh, from the introduction man. of Kevin Hart's extremely Kevin Hart character, pretty much to the end of the Ukraine slash Chernobyl set piece, yeah, that's the point where I started to, especially watching the movie, I just kind of absorbed it. But leaving this movie, I think that this third of the movie made me feel like this was the most kind of this is a weird thing to say for movies that are like billion dollar enterprises and the most successful longest running franchise of the last like 20 years it felt like corporate and sell out Yeah. It didn't feel fun or vital or subversive. It just felt kind of by the book. Yeah, there's nothing fun about that segment. It doesn't make any sense. There's Evening. that whole weird... There's that whole weird kind of sexist thing with Madam M where this character's introduced and, like, has and done nothing, but they're only introduced to, like hit them out with weapons and make out with jason statham and i didn't understand the purpose for that character's existence other than it's a weird kind of john wick move where it's like oh this world is a little bit bigger than you thought but But they did that so well in the first part yeah but it doesn't yeah it doesn't do quite what it it's not like john wick going to the hotel and and trading a coin for a night's stay or whatever yeah that's there's intrigue there. there there's There's like, oh, wow, this is like this whole thing. And of course, everywhere John Wick goes, people are like, oh, you coming out of retirement? He's like, no. Yeah. So like, it gives you... Because it's throughout the movie, whereas this Mad Men thing feels like it comes out of nowhere. Why would Jason Statham know this person? You're right. It doesn't do it well. Is there anything that happens pre them going to Moscow? Because they get on a plane. Does that plane go to Moscow? It must, yeah. And then all this Moscow stuff happens, and then eventually uh, the realization is that they have... To... Oh, so there's like the scientist interrogation thing. scientist yeah. is a fine character. Who's... Uh, yeah, I got the actor wrong. I thought he was Edward Jacoby. That's not a real person. No, Edward Jacoby is... um He's... Well, Jacoby's a character from Twin Peaks. Yeah, no. There was like an old actor who looks just like this actor. Oh I swear there's another guy who looks just like him but, but it's not, not him. Yeah. Uh yeah, this this middle section just it felt like a bad movie that was placed in the middle of a movie that I quite liked up to this point. And like from a character motivation point, even like <laughs> Brixton Lore doesn't want to do what he has to do. Like the the Etion voice, uh Champ Nightwick, whatever his name is. Yeah, that's a good name. Uh, I was like, hey, try to turn Hobbs and Shaw. They would be really good assets to our team because I'm misguided and stupid, I guess. And Interstellar was like, no, that's that's not going to happen. It's like, yeah. do it or we'll turn you off. And so he's like, torture, threatening them to join the team. And you could tell, like... His heart's not really in it. And it's always yeah. bad when the torturer's heart's not in it. Yeah. Because then you're doing torture for torture's sake. The torturees aren't enjoying it. The torturer is not enjoying and it. And look, I know torture is like a mainstay in the Fast and Furious series. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. I know we like our torture scenes with rats and stuff and, and other horrible things that happen to these characters. But, like, you're, you've got these two guys in chairs hooked up to Carb. Cars, not just car batteries, but full cars. They're hooked up to cars and they have what appears to be thin silken rope around their necks, but chains crossed over their bodies. Where is. What is the connection they're making to complete the circuit for them to be shocked? Because it looks like jumper cables are on the back of chairs. That's probably it. But why the chains? Why the neck thing? And you've got this U of just like four deep guys with guns. And it's almost like the writer's, like, taunting the heroes. Yeah, how are you going to get out of this one? Yeah, how are you going to do this one? And, like, the how they do it is, like, Hattie's escaping with the machine. And she overhears uh, Brixton Lore reveal something about her brother. And seemingly then she has a change of heart to save them, which doesn't... I mean it I doesn't think, why wouldn't she want to save them anyway? I don't think I don't think at any point it was like a change of heart. I think she's doing a Mick Jagger well like no, the, the way that it was shot was like she was going to leave and then she hears oh, him yeah. reveal oh we, ha- we we twisted the media. We had it seem like you betrayed your team mm-hmm. and then she turns around. Oh yeah, because she thought her brother was bad before the movie started. Because to frame—oh shit, this is something I didn't put together—to to frame Jason Statham's character, to frame Sean such a way to put him in a weakened position to join Etienne. They like made him a social pariah yes. by editing the news to make him look like a war criminal, which is an interesting revision of his character. Because we've seen him fucking kill people in the Fast and Familia. Uh, also, he killed <laughs> like 17 police officers and bombed a hospital. Yeah, what? He's not a great person. No, he killed so many cops. He killed, killed so, he killed Han. He killed so many he cops. He killed Han. <laughs> why does the series want us to forget that he killed Han? Yeah. Uh. So, yes, absolutely. He's not a good guy. So I don't know uh, why we're trying to sell him as such. But... I don't know. The whole midsection is rife with second act problems, which is a weird... Usually a movie will have third act problems. It's such a bizarre thing because I feel like a fair number of the Fast and Furious movies have relatively strong second acts, even ones that start kind of low. But this is just so... I just thoroughly disliked the second act. Upon reflection, while I was watching it, I didn't really metabolize any yeah, of it yeah. but like on reflection it's it just doesn't make a lot of sense and yes there's like definitely good moments i'm not small change yeah etc yeah edward jacoby who's that's not his real name has a really good line there and then he just dies he just dies so his neck is snapped a split second whatever uh but there's there's like fun dialogue it's just such a weak part of the movie i can't even think of like too much to say about it the, in, in a relatively strong movie the middle is the weakest part. And you don't want to limp through any part of your movie. But I guess at least this is only a slight limp and it's not like you need a, you need crutches. You know, it, it doesn't detract from the whole. Mm-hmm. But it's only because we're holding up a magnifying glass to this movie. And that, that middle part didn't do much for us that, we're, that we are... Probably seemingly hitting this so hard. It, it's insane, though, because the uh, the logical inverse of Hobbs and Shaw's Fast Five. Because Fast Five had a kind of slowish opening. A tremendously impactful middle section that set up the tone for the rest of these movies going into perpetuity. And then an ending that was still good. Yeah. But, like, its middle section was so perfect it, it was a middle section that like made it the one of the best of these movies uh which which isn't to say that like Hobbs and Shaw is bad uh it's like we'll get into it. There's a ranking part. I just remembered that we have to rank these movies There's and a... i I am filled with anxiety and dread now. It's fine we'll just do it like we always do from oh, the gut. I didn't write this down before and like I did oh no so I don't know how much more we can really say. About the middle? About the middle part that we didn't enjoy. and I mean, I know we're not trying to do like a plot recap, but it's essentially three movies that I have very different feelings about. There's a weird line in the middle part just a to touch on it where Vanessa Kirby's character, Hattie, like, undoes her bindings and kicks out two guards and the Edward Jacoby character, who that's not his name, goes, he says the line, that's impossible. But she just... Did it? Yeah. So it is possible because it has already (laughs) happened. It is. What is the thinking behind... What a strange thing to say. Is it English is not his first language or... Maybe he meant to say that's impressive. uh, I don't know. But the line as it stands in the movie is that's impossible. And it... I, I just don't know what to do with that line. I don't know what to do with that whole part of the movie to be honest with you. Even the... What I will say, as I squeeze this lime into this last Corona, which will uh, put us one up on the competition. Yeah, assuming we both finish these, one of us could die first. What I really want from, and this is a, more critique of the marketing than anything else. I want to, I feel like I would feel better about this middle section if they build the second act as the third act in the marketing. Like if they, they hyped up this... This Moscow part to be like this is the culmination of the film, like this is going to be the climactic third act. Oh, dude. because from a marketing standpoint and from an actuality, it could have been a third act. Yeah, the the thing is, is this movie has two third acts. That's which, that's really what it is. Which, which is fascinating its construction, and that it has a bad first third act. Are you doing the live thing? Oh, shit. Oh, no, so much beer came out. <laughs> How did beer get on the table? Okay, the lime thing, I'm still an amateur at. We will practice later. Uh We'll practice. We've got a year to practice. I'm covered in beer now. How did beer get on the table? Uh So this is a movie of two third acts, which I think is really what it suffers from. Yeah, so it's got two third acts. It's got two culminations of the plot, which is like, it's almost like... They had a third act, and then they decided to release, like, an expansion pack third act? Yeah. And the third act, the the actual third act in the composition of the film, isn't bad by any means. It's just... It's more fun. I yeah. like the fun, and I like that it starts to finally hint at what the Fast and Furious universe is all about. It finally gets it together and says what has been needing to be said about this movie... But the the thing that I, and I'm going to go back to what you said, and I w- had this feeling during the movie, can you imagine how hard both you and I would have freaked out if there was no promotional material whatsoever that spoiled what the third act of this movie is? I, if if everything showed like, oh, they're fighting Brixton lore, obviously they fight in like a desolate kind of cyberpunk environment, and they bring in the cars and the trucks and the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. I would have bought that whole and, and the rock crawler. If, because the turn is perfect for something that they don't put in the marketing materials, because the turn that Luke Hobbs has to go home happens suddenly, and bam, we are there. I will say, I feel like we did get that reaction, but it was in the trailers before Godzilla King of Monsters. Exactly. We had that moment, but at the wrong time. It was several months too early. If I had had that moment and I realized what this, because when this movie is a long walk to a thesis statement of these characters hate each other. they Or at least they strongly dislike each other. The stakes are never higher than they've been before. Actual science fiction has been introduced there. Fighting against the Terminator Superman, James Bond. This movie has escalated exponentially, even from Fate of the Furious. And if the reveal at the end had been it's all about family, we're going home. Yeah. You instantly would have known what that's about. Yes. Like, the second that happens, you're like, oh, fuck, this movie's about family the whole time, and everything leading up to this was, like, the trials and the tribulations that they face without coming together. And that's what the movie ended up being, and that's what makes the, like, last act of it smart. But if you hadn't known that was happening, oh, my God, can you imagine? We would die in the Yeah. Theater. But that's a testament to my philosophy of going into movies blind. But I think it's also a testament to how strong a turn that is. How strong a move that is from a writing plot standpoint. The fact The Rock has to go home is so good. And that segment is so well done that we're upset not because they did it. But because we knew they were going to do it before they did it. I was only upset because it was such a good thing. And I wish I hadn't known about it. It is similar to... Only one other movie that I can really think of has done this credibly. And this movie does it credibly as well. But have you ever seen Skyfall... Yeah, I love Skyfall. It's one of my favorite James Bond movies. Skyfall might be the best James Bond movie, in my opinion. The thing thing about Skyfall is Skyfall is a study in the James Bond movies are about escalation. And then at the very end... It doesn't end up being about Escalation. It ends up being about, like, his... Fa- it, yeah. it ends up being about what all James Bond movies at this point are about. The past. Yes. The the very last part of Skyfall is he must return to his family's home. He must return to this dank cottage in the moors that is haunted by the, the shadows, the, the metaphorical ghosts of his past. And then one could infer the, the past of and the, like cultural importance of james bond being stripped away and saying that the final battle happens in a place where the only thing that exists is the past everything else is stripped away it almost takes place in limbo yeah i mean it's scotland yeah it's foggy it's shitty yeah it's not yeah there's a really great joke in skyfall just to spend one second on it where it's like we got to go where no one would ever expect to find (laughs) us And like it just jump cuts to them in Scotland. Yeah, and, and uh... Judy Dench, I think so, Dame du- Judy, Dame Judy, Judy Dench, Judy, yeah, Judy Dench. Okay, Dame Judy Dench is like, really here? And it's like yeah. what? I thought <laughs> no one's gonna think to find us here. But uh, this movie does something that I hope that movies aren't capable of doing in the future, which is it pulled a Skyfall. Yeah, but it also pulled it off. I it, that moment would have been stronger if the marketing hadn't revealed it, but I, I, it does a few things well. One, it has a character basically spell out sort of what, at least for one character, the value of the events of the movie is. Uh, Hattie says to the Rock, "Hey, at least you know there's one good thing out of you meeting me. I brought you home, mm-hmm. and that's like the writer." Pulling the magnifying glass over the audience's eyes, like this is this is it, this is the meaning. And two, it cements the hierarchy still of the world's most powerful objects. Because in a world where cars are the most dangerous weapon. The helicopter is still the fucking king. <laughs> yes. It is still like the 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 apex predator of this world because no matter what you can do in your car or like with clubs and stuff no matter what you can do on the ground the helicopter still rules the skies. I love the fact that this is just a car versus a helicopter battle toward the end. The thing is it goes back to everything that happened in this movie is a knockdown drag out fight for the future. Mm-hmm. It is a fight of modernity against, like, the future. It, it is a fight for human autonomy and control against, like, uh, corporate uh, oligarchs who own your future and your body. And that is essentially what the movie is about. But the thing is the movie is that fight. But then when they go to the Rock's home, there are tuners, there are call- cars all over the place. There's West Coast custom-style tuner jobs. They bring up propane, gas tanks. Nitro all- is bad. Nitro is, back. but it's all cars because it goes back to the underlying philosophy of these movies. The only thing that matters is family. and in a street fight, the street always wins. Yeah. It goes back to that that the roots. It goes back to the roots of the tenets of it doesn't matter if you are a a, a physiologically enhanced cyborg with an army with like special guns or whatever that If earth, you fight against a bunch of people with fucking cars, cars are the most powerful thing on earth and nothing can stop people with families in cars. The ultimate force in the universe. I don't care how many atom bombs you have. Given enough people with families and cars, <laughs> we can we can overcome any any hardship. We made this joke coming out of the movie, but there's a moment in Fast Five when the Rock says, "No matter what happens, don't let them get in a car." I think the line going forward has to be, "No matter what happens, don't let them have a family." It, ser- seriously, like I I wanted to bring that up because it's very funny. But also, like, there's a point. Family is the strongest force in the Fast and Furious universe. And then if you power cars with families, (laughs) they can even defeat, dare say, a helicopter. Yes, they they brought together the two most powerful forces, family and cars. And when they were together, they're unstoppable. I, I do have to ask a question. What is it with the Fast and Furious franchise, with having... uh? Villains ride in helicopters. Uh because helicopters are the natural enemies of cars. I guess that's what it is. They we, have the least had, similarities to cars of any other vehicle. You had but, two, oh, There's two kinds of vehicles with the least similarity to cars, and the Fast and Furious boats, <laughs> The Fast and Furious franchise has gone to show multiple times that is a, a an endless battle between cars and and helicopters and cars and boats. Yeah. The end of Two Fast and Fury. The, end curious, of fast, the submarine yeah, fight. That's like a boat. Yeah. So it's cars and boats and cars and helicopters. They are mortal enemies. Cars and planes! The plane on the runway in Fast Six. Oh yeah, that's another Cars gotta fight planes, cars gotta fight boats. Gotta fight it, helicopters. It's a weapon. it's a weapon circle, except cars always win. There's also a weird thing about Members of the MCU, Digimon Honsu and Ninja Selva, yes. being in helicopters yes. <laughs> versus everyone else. Uh, that is totally fair. i That's the genius of the third act of this movie to me. But also the genius. You have that really fast and furious moment of cars versus a helicopter, which was absolutely needed if you want this to be a fast and furious Presents movie, yes. Because so much of this movie's action is, is is straight up fights, straight up Hobbs and Shaw stuff. Which I get. That's the title, and I guess I should have expected that. But I also the nitro moment was deeply appreciated because the, this is, after all, in this universe where cars are should be first and foremost. the 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 third act of that movie is a great coming to center where you realize despite everything that you thought before, you are, in fact, watching a Fast and Furious movie. In that, when... It's hard to talk about without getting emotional. When Nitrous, when Nos is introduced for the first time, The Rock says the line, that I don't care for, hit him with the moonshine. Which is, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's... The Rock probably thought that was cool and wrote it into the script or whatever. We know what it is. But the, the fact that... At this point, you have a helicopter that is getting the better of five cars. It is lifting them into the sky, is about to drop them precipitously down a cliff to their deaths. And then the only thing that can save them is, is not only nitrous, which when he flips the nitrous switch, it is someone like did an analysis of this. It's like a perfect, like, time match shot for shot of when they activate nitrous for the first time in too fast too furious it goes to the tanks follows it into the engine you see the yeah. engine and they did that and i think fast six or seven during the havana race when he mm-hmm. does the thing and it like supercharges the it's rat a rock. perfect they, you know homage to the series that bore it they mimicked it perfectly and then it happens four more times because when nitrous gets activated the first time the car like starts to gain ground. like oh shit this is like, it's Dragon Ball Z rules, right? Yeah. They, they use the thing that you establish and you're like, oh no, it's not enough. And then like more people yep. keep using it. And then with five cars using nitrous, somehow, and it makes no sense from a physics standpoint that wheels spinning faster could pull something down, <laughs> but they do because wheels spinning faster would just give you less traction. What? No. The, the 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 force of the strength going laterally <laughs> is stronger than the force pulling upwardly and i don't know <laughs> shit about science yes uh i just know that a helicopter pulling you up is the opposite of a spoiler uh but when all the cars do it and they manage to like level out to the ground such a powerful moment i can't i mean every fast and furious movie has a moment that like gets me weirdly choked up about this hyper macho car world. Fate of the Furious had all of the cars like converging to protect Dom Toretto from the explosion. Oh yeah. Which like genuinely made me choked up when I saw it. Uh, but this was one of those moments where I was like, fuck, this is what these movies are capital A about. And like when you, when you see, and there's a moment I think in pretty much every one of these movies, where, it, like, states, this is what this is about, about, it's always, like, really emotionally striking. Because these movies, for all of their ills, and there are a lot of ills, I'd say, like, half of these movies actually aren't good. Uh, oh, yeah. good, I guess. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Wow, John. I don't know. Harsh words for the uh, ninth installment of our supplemental I mean, reading series. I mean, good we've chosen to like these movies and yeah. i love them but like it it's pretty much all of these movies have a thing where you're like oh there's an emotional undercurrent for these movies that is consistent throughout and hobbs and shaw despite my worst fears did not lose that for a second it's almost like they have the same writer as the other movies the same writer as the other the other movies who by the way we have now officially tied and exceeded the corona count We are now up one. We are up one. Your move, Fast 9. Here's the thing. I don't know why I started this. (laughs) Next thing I wanted to say, here's the thing. Because I want to talk about something else. (laughs) Here's another thing. Here's another thing. You have this really great moment with the helicopter and all that and the cars. And yes, that is what these movies are capitally about. But then there's what this movie is lowercase a about. And that's the final fight in the rain between Hobbs Shaw and Black Superman which is just a a knockdown dragged out fight between man versus machine as only like John Henry versus the train <laughs> can do. I feel like uh, that's actually a pretty apt description even though you might have just come up with it on the like flying by the sea of your pants because the, that's my <laughs> fucking talent. The family cars that's what these movies are about. Yes. But the final scene is what this movie is about. And, and while this movie has elements of family, which really strengthen it, and without those elements, this movie would be a lesser form of itself. The the transhuman versus human element, the teamwork versus individual, that's what this movie's about. Exactly. Exactly. Giving, like, I I really feel like I don't know the backstory of this, but given the the background of the director, and given that Chris Morgan is an adaptable sort of writer who probably knew who might be directing this, the final bout being a close, uh, close in, like a zoom in, Camerlin's final fight for this, this, Close action director. Yeah. Was absolutely playing to the strengths of all of the people involved. And he had these really great physicality of The Rock. Idris Elba, Jason Statham, all very physical actors. There's no other way I don't think this movie could end without lessening, without weakening it in some way. Yeah, I feel like stripping it down to just a fight was the best thing they could have done. Uh, because the movie definitely played to its strengths and that the set pieces were bad. Not bad. The, the set pieces just weren't great. The thing is, like, in this franchise of grand set pieces, the ones that stand out are the safe. Yeah. Like, the ones that were really well pulled off, really, like, practical effects. And they've been done is the thing. And it's like, how do you one-up yourself? Okay, I guess... The set pieces need to get larger. I guess we'll use a submarine this time. And those are good. Those are decent. Tank on the highway was good. Tank on the highway was good. But like, when you nail it, it's hard to nail it again. Yeah. The safe and the tank are like, they are at the very top of that sort of thing. Those set pieces. Yeah. They did it. It's great. It's hard to chase greatness. It's hard Mm. to pull it off again. So it's like you can have these great set pieces that the, the franchise is known for, but know in your mind that the audience is gonna be reminiscent for that safe or the tank on the highway. These really great you nailed it things, and when Submarine was good, but it wasn't it wasn't any safe. Yeah, submarine was no safe. Like and like even Digimon Honsu helicopter was was decent and Yeah, it was okay. And led to one of the, the greatest moments in Fast and Furious. History, when you, in a street fight, the street always wins. Like, even though it led to that, in my mind, I'm still like, well, it's not Paul Walker and and Vin Diesel dragging a safe between them between two cars. Like, they did it. They did the perfect set piece. Yeah, let it go. Kind of let it go. Kind of like, if you've got this director who's really good at, at really close action scenes... Maybe lean into it a little bit more. Maybe. Yeah. Look, I think having the, the, the fight at dawn between the, the, uh, the Usos and the, and the, the armed mercenaries and the way that was shot where everybody's kind of in darkness. Everyone's a silhouette. You can't really tell who is who, but it doesn't matter because they're all sort of nameless minions of both sides. Mm-hmm. I think that was artfully done. Yeah. Stay there. Mm hmm. Maybe don't go into the helicopter barrel bomb kind of scene. I, I yeah. don't know. I feel like the the helicopter barrel bomb stuff was silly. The uh, the Usos fighting the... Mercs? Fighting the uh, Etienne mercenaries was great. I do want to do a quick shout out that Roman Reigns is in this movie. Roman Reigns, WWE wrestler. He does a number of his signature moves. He is one of the Rock's brothers. Roman Reigns? Oh, he's one... I know that name. He's a super famous professional wrestler. Yeah. Wait, he was like a really big name for a long time. He's also time. related to The Rock. For real, real? I, exactly. Not for yeah. play, play? For real. Also, there's nice. a, there's a Polaroid, I believe, that you can see that is a picture of The Rock with his actual father, who was a professional wrestler. That's really awesome, uh, too. Uh, there's a lot of really cool professional, there's a lot of cool wrestling stuff in The Rock's home. But I feel like, okay. I know that in the last podcast episode, we did kind of editorialize for a little while about the nature of criticism. Yeah. And we're going to do that again. Of course. So something that I do not, I made the mistake of reading up about this movie in preparation for this episode, not to read through any full reviews because no one's opinion matters to me, but my own, Uh, especially after I've already seen something like, what's the point? I don't understand people who like read reviews of something they've already seen. Like, you know what your opinion of it is. Uh, but one thing that seems to kind of crop up in these things is the statement that we spoke previously about how the using the nomenclature of calling a movie dumb or stupid is lazy. Yeah. One thing that seems to be kind of a through line in these is they refer to like the last kind of fight element, which is to damage Brixton lore, someone else must be hit. Yeah, someone must be hit so they can hit him. Exactly, and and they—that's pretty smart. A fair number of the criticisms that I read uh, call that nonsensical, and the, they play it off as as like a stupid choice to have an easy way to defeat a villain. I feel like in it's, their in their desire to call a movie stupid, they have completely ignored something's actual symbolic significance which maybe makes the like bald faced symbolism like it is extremely obvious what they're actually communicating with that choice and by calling it stupid because it like i guess strategically or realistically doesn't make sense boy are you missing the point but it okay i i absolutely get what you're saying and it is the, like okay finally this is the one obstacle where we Absolutely, have to work together. Yeah, this is our culminating moment. This is where it's like, okay, teamwork wins. At the same time, however, it literally makes sense because we, as the audience, know that his little contact lenses—they're not actually his brain—is his yeah. robot brain can detect threats. But it showed, like, it is shown in the movie. That it's one thread at a time. It's not spidey sense. It's, yeah, it's what he's looking at. It's visual input. And so he's looking at his target usually, whoever hit him last. Mm-hmm. And so he hits them. And so whoever's not getting hit, that's two on one fighting. That, that is, yeah. that is, uh, I mean, that makes sense. That's not dumb. And also further point, I'm kind of getting a little upset at this point. Be upset at the critiques, not me. No, no, I'm being upset at the critiques. The movie demonstrates that Elba's character, Brixton Lore, is perfect. He can do everything. He is literally the bicentennial man. He he is perfection. Mm-hmm. This is literally, literally the only way to defeat him. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like the. And the movie painstakingly demonstrates this. What I don't, what I don't like about these criticisms is twofold. Number one, the the stating that it doesn't make sense, like strategically or whatever, because you can't, like you've demonstrated, any amount of abstract thought can be applied to something like this and and find a reason that it is like strategically sound because anything in a movie can be strategically sound. Yeah, because whatever that's the. Uh, that's a pointless, like, cinema sins kind of thing to comment on. But also, like, none of the critiques of this actually speak to the, like, underlying text of it, which is these characters are finally coming together in the final moments in the last way to actually defeat this guy, which is be willing to do something that they had not in the movie been willing to do whatsoever, which is the definition of teamwork which is taking one for the team. It is the ability to be hurt so that you can achieve a greater goal. That's them actually, like, coalescing into a team. And that is the only time in the entire movie they've done it. And it's out of necessity, but it's, like, the perfect, like, thesis statement for this movie ends on the definition of teamwork, which is sacrificing yourself for a common good. And no criticism that I saw actually addresses that as being the underlying thing. They're like, this is a stupid thing that they just put in the movie to, like, look cool. I'm like, it's in the... They say it. They say, you've got to get hit so I can hit him. Yeah. I think that when people want to call a movie stupid they do, in the vernacular we discussed, shut their brain off, in that they actually stop looking at things critically. And actually, if you looked at something critically for a second, you'd see that there's not a ton of depth, but there's more than you allowed yourself to see. I I mean, like, at the end of the day, even, like, RoboCop is a commentary on policing. Like, all of the good action movies that we like are a commentary on something. It's almost like there are no... I mean, there are... There are few dumb writers who are out there just to make a quick buck and make no commentary on anything. Like, writing is commentating. You can't write something without commenting on something else. It, it, It is... And everything that people write have layers. Chris Morgan has been with this franchise... Forever. It's hard. It's to, not like he's going to phone it in just because this is a spinoff. It's hard to write for that long without making some kind of art. Yeah. You've, you've gotta have something in it. And, and the, look, it, it's this, I'm not saying this movie has more depth than like, I don't know, crime and punishment. I'm just saying there are layers. They may be shallow, like they may not Take a lot of exploring because characters, like I said, do kind of summarize the value for other characters and family is the go-to theme for a lot of these movies and you just look for those elements. Yeah. But we found layers in transhumanism and modernity versus the future. We, We found elements that are not spelled out for us. Nothing about Idris Elba screams transhumanism. Like, he's not like, well, he, he, he does embody sort of like, I'm better than you because I have these augmentations. And he does at one point say, this is where you earn your <laughs> upgrades, boys. Yeah. He, so also, maybe it he also literally restates in somewhat more simplified language, uh, pretty widespread like, transhumanist philosophies about literally the worth of a human body and, like, what is consciousness. But if you didn't allow yourself to pick up on those things... Yeah, if you just shut your brain up, you're like, oh, this guy really likes being, uh you know, uh, augmented, even though there are multiple scenes of him being worked on where yeah. he's showing physical pain that it's like he probably regrets that. Hey, on this episode of Cinema Sins, we're going to explore why Brixton Lore endures pain, even though, like, it's not that great being a robot. Why doesn't he just say no way? Idris Elba doesn't look cool in this scene. That's a sin. <laughs> That's a sin. Doesn't look cool Always being tortured, and psychologically manipulated. Oh, uh, Vanessa Kirby isn't my girlfriend in this scene. Uh, Oh, uh, Oh, CinemaSins. CinemaSins. Look, I hate CinemaSins. Let's never say their name again. Great. So that's enough conversation about critique, I feel. I did see a headline by a once-great website that I used to like. I'm not going to name it because they've really fallen from grace ever since they got bought by a different company. But the headline simply read, Why is it Hobbs and Shaw more fun? And the answer to that question is, maybe because it's a more serious movie than you approached it. Yeah. Maybe it's because you turned your brain off, found something that you needed to think about, and immediately classified not as, like, something to think about, but just not fun. Yeah. Maybe it's because you're looking for an easy movie to write about, and this movie proved a little more challenging than you wanted, and rather than rise to the challenge, you went into summer mode, and you're like, no movie that comes out in August is worth thinking about. I'm going to go write a stupid headline, phone it in, and then go back to sipping my writer martinis. Which is a shame, because Hobbs and Shaw is a fantastically easy movie to write about. It, it gives, it gives it all to you. Yes. It's, the barrier to entry is disturbingly low. Uh, but people so wanted it to be lower because, like, oh, this is Fast and the Furious. It's like when we started this whole exercise, we thought, huh, it wouldn't it be funny if we watched all these Fast and the Furious movies? Wouldn't it be movies? funny if we watched all these dumb movies? And then what we found was, oh shit, there's, there's stuff to think about. These, these movies are, Together as a unit are good. Yeah. There are individual y- movies that are worse or better than other movies. But Fast Five is a masterpiece and I will die on that hill. Uh, that is totally fair. Uh, yeah, I, I think the only thing that's really left to talk about that's really substantive about my feelings on the movie is the very end. So, when you say the very end, do you mean all of the weird scenes that happen during the credits because this movie just abruptly ends like it's Fast 2? It is the worst way to end... I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this movie ends... This movie has one of the worst endings I've ever seen. Yeah. Not in that the content of the ending is not interesting... Or that the content of the ending is, like, disappointing or, like, atonal to what came previously. It's just that they chose to literally, I want to say less than a minute after the end, here comes the kryptonite, Brixton Lore shuts off, also here comes the kryptonite, and then literally suplexing, he broke his neck. Uh, absolutely. But, making the movie just end... Yeah. Less than a minute after that with, like, weird picture and picture with the credits coming. What a bizarre, unsatisfying, wet fart of a way to end a movie. Because it's interspersed with family. It's interspersed with shots of these families, like, coming to terms with what had just happened. It shows The Rock's mom. It shows Mama Shaw in prison seeing her daughter for the first time in years. Which, by the way, Helen Mirren gave one look... In that, and it was the most acting anyone had done in that entire movie. Which is not to like shit on anyone; it's just to say that Helen Mirren can outact like look a hundred yeah. people in a second. It's Charles Dance and Godzilla King of Monsters. <laughs> it Charles is. Dance is is putting in his one of his best performances, and everyone else is like, "There are monsters." <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, of course there are monsters." By the way, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the. And all the, all the like, interstitial credit stuff is really good, but why did they choose to deliver it in such a way that it plays over the credits? Here's the thing I want from any story. Any story at all. I want a sense of closure. I need to see what the, the events of the story mean for the future or for the character at large. And where I don't want to see it is in the footnotes of the end. I don't want to see it being played over some... I don't know. Credit music is always weird to me. I don't want it there. And if you're going to do that, which they did, don't make the credits ten minutes long and intersperse after credit scenes. Like, you're doing too much with too little. They completely failed. So... I don't know how to say this without it sounding very damning. They failed to end this movie three times. Yeah. They had three chances to end this fucking movie and they failed every time. The first ending, they must have had dialogue. These actors must have been mic'd. There's a boom in there somewhere. Why can't they talk? Why can't these be the ending scenes and then end it? Yeah, why do we get a montage of these things? Why not... These things should matter these to these These are great characters. character moments. Yeah. These are great character moments, and when they're played over the credits, they seem like an afterthought, which undersells everything previously in the movie. Yeah. Sucks. That's... The ending sucks, the and ending then... The ending is bad. And then we get into the after credits scenes, which shouldn't... Look, you've set up this big, mysterious organization with a boss that is familiar to these characters and if you do any sort of after credit scenes it needs to build on that you need to set up the sequel so my my feelings are number 1 i don't feel like any movie going forward i don't just any movie i don't feel like any movie should should have an after credit sequence that takes place all the way at the end of the credits. so I do see the reasoning behind it that you get to see everyone who worked on the movie. That was just our lame reasoning to get you but and, I, and your girlfriend to stay. We but actually I, don't believe in that. I don't believe in putting an after credit scene at the very, 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 very end of a movie. Uh, but also, this is the first time, I guess, that I've I've been to a movie in a theater. Because I don't see a lot of movies that have like post credit sequences outside of Godzilla and Marvel movies. Well, that's right, Godzilla did have one. These are the. This was the first after credit scene that I've seen. It didn't do anything. It felt completely perfunctory. It didn't do anything. It felt like anything. it felt like they were fulfilling a contractual obligation that they must have to after-credit scenes, but both of them do positively nothing. They don't move the story forward. They don't answer any questions. They're jokey and fun, sure. And also, they spoil the end of Game of Thrones, which I think is kind of funny. That is kind I of hilarious. Think, I think it's pretty funny that they actually just spoil the ending of Game of Thrones. Yeah. No considerations given. And spoiler culture. Spoil Game of Thrones in movies. Well, I like spoiler culture. Shut up! But... I they they just did nothing. They they did absolutely nothing for the movie. We gained nothing from them, they provided no closure and gave no hint to any kind of ongoing future or universe with these characters. It's like everyone looked at Marvel and said, Oh, they've got and even Marvel did this in themselves. Oh, we've got they've got in credit scenes, we gotta do it. But like the first few in-credit scenes built something. Yeah. They were built. They were laying a foundation. You can't do Infinity War without building up Thanos? You can't. That's just that's how it is. You have to build, 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 build. Even if you do an mid credit scene, let's say not end credits. Let's do a mid credit scene. It needs to build something. It's a classic formula: mid credits builds, post credits is jokes. Yeah. Post-credits is jokes or something that just makes you feel like you had a fun time in the movies. Post-credits is a deleted scene from the film that is funny. Yeah, pretty much. But no, I I take great, great umbrage with the way this movie ended. I do too. And I'd like no other entry in the Fast and Furious... Okay, I'm going to say a statement that might be wrong... No other entry in the Fast and Furious series thus far has had an end credit scene. Absolutely incorrect. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. What is it, Fast 7? It's like Fast... Six? Six or seven has an after credit <gasps> sequence with Luke Hobbs, where he's like, this is Letty or whatever. No, yeah, there was that one, you're right. That was Evan Mendez's character in no, that No, you're scene. right, you're right, you're right. No, but it was Luke Hobbs and Evan Mendes, who has never come back! yeah what is happening with there the absolutely scrunchies? has been one There's but been it more built stars it built so it needs to build do we feel like we have much more to talk about this movie I feel like we need to rank it absolutely with the rest and then we I we, know that going we into build we should build to the future I know that going into the latter episodes of the faQ we had a couple different metrics. How do we feel about female representation in this movie? Very strong through Vanessa Kirby. All-time high, in my opinion. All-time high through and Vanessa Kirby. Big knockdown for Madame M just making it with Jason Statham and giving him things. Yeah. Basically like a sex mom. Hit, hit, hit and miss, but Vanessa Kirby, very strong. Like I feel like The Rock... Has a weird monologue about it's 2019 and she's a badass yeah. woman who, with her own strengths. That's also a knock against it. Calling attention to it is a knock against it. And she's also, like, right next. <laughs> she's present in the scene when he says that. But she's, like, conveniently asleep and doesn't wake up hearing her own name. And then there's also that weird moment where he's like, if she wants to climb this mountain... Oh yeah. Okay. Again and again. Definitely over another and up. over. So Vanessa Kirby, all the things she does positive. Mm-hmm. But then things like Vanessa not Vanessa, that's that's the name you just said. The things like Madden M, and then how The Rock talks about Vanessa, Kirby's character, Hattie. But then Dame Shaw is very strong. Very strong. And then Mama Mama Rock, Mama Mama, Mama Haas, Rock is strong and good, too. Very strong and the matriarch of that family. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it... Because I know that we've called it problematic, very problematic. I'm going to give it a B. A B for... A B for... It's not perfect, but there are still problems... That's not two contradictory statements, but that's how it is. It's not perfect, but there are still problems. I'm going to call it, I know that we've called it problematic, very problematic. Problematic with a capital R, I think we said once. Uh, Also, this bears uh, mention, because I don't think there's going to be another place for us to mention it. There is a butt scene in this movie. There's butts. It's in the nightclub. There's butts. Jamie... There's butts. Jamie leaned over at that moment, and even though we were in an Alamo draft house. She said, well, I guess this is a Fast and Furious movie now. That's fair. All right, so downgraded B minus. Not perfect, but with problems. But with problems. But with problems. But problems. I'm going to give it not a problematic. I'm actually going to give it a new rating for 2019. I I already gave one, yeah. I'm going to give it a problem... So it's the word "problem" with a question mark, yeah. Because I'm not sure if it's a problem, but we'll see. Like it tries to toe the line with the prince, like the principal characters. I think they nailed it. As in, uh, Hattie is a principal character, and she is very well done. But then everything around the principal characters is a problem. Everything around them is a problem. I would like to say other things. Corona Count, we are up by one. We are up by one. Just for everyone keeping track going into Fast 9. Just keeping my Fast 9, Fast 10 directed by Justin Lin who directed Fast 5. Excited for that. Very excited. Look, we have laid out in a previous episode our plans for this franchise. And I just hope Chris Morgan and Justin Lin get on board it's fast nine, go to space. Fast ten, go to hell. Highway to that's, hell. That's all I want. Fast right. nine, go to space. I don't care what the plot is. Fast ten, go to hell. Get Han and 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 Gazelle's—that's not her name—Gazelle, Gazelle's Giselle. souls back and resurrect them as only the Fast and Furious could. And then Fast eleven, Thanos. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, by the way, Fast and Furious Ten is going to be called Fast and Furious X: Highway to Hell. Yeah, please, Roman X. numeral. Roman, Ro- yeah, Roman, Roman, Reigns. Reigns, Roman, numeral. Roman Reigns, Roman Pierce. Roman Reigns, Roman Pierce X X. Uh, were there any other things that we baked into our our ratings for these movies? Street races? None. There were none. There were no street races, but oh. it's Fast and Furious presents. These characters do not street race. I will. Okay, so f- new metric. I guess. I don't know. New thing I want to force into this the the ending of this episode. This was the first spinoff. Yes. And I felt maybe that this first spinoff wanted to play it a little safe. And so they didn't go as over the top as they could. Yes, it goes over the top. Yes, Chernobyl gets blown up. Yes, helicopters. Yes, there is a cyborg. But they could have done more. That's space, baby. And maybe it's like... Chris, or, I don't know, the, the the powers that be want to rein it in just a little bit and keep the craziness maybe for the Fast and Furious mainline. But for the first spinoff, was this Fast and Furious enough? Was it enough? I'd say so. I actually feel like this movie's pretty fucking crazy. All right. Uh And I'd say as spinoffs go, we'll talk about how I feel about it in relation to the other movies, but I liked it. Okay. So here's... A new ranking. A new ranking. So this is this one's going to be. Hope you're writing these down. Uh, so this is going to be Fast and Furious movies that Tyrese Gibson is the most upset about. This one comes in at a big ol' number one. Oh, is he upset because he's not in it? Uh, yes, he's upset that he's not in it. He posts like mean things to Instagram about Tyrese hates this movie. Yeah, there's bad blood between Tyrese and the existence of and Shaw. That's interesting. I really... Look, part of me wishes that this was filmed concurrently with the next edition so that... They wouldn't have had to push it back. They wouldn't have now. had to push it back. And honestly, that's probably how they should have done it. But that means a lesser role for Hobbs and Shaw in the ninth movie. Which kind of absolutely could happen. We're at, we're up to like ten members of the Fast and Familia, even though they killed a couple off. On. Uh, so here's the thing that we're looking Giselle. at. Hobbs and Shaw is the bumper crop of the Fast and Furious, because we've got another one next year. It's next year? It's next year. Okay, so it's not too far in the future. Uh, or maybe it's in the future. I don't know. Uh, it's it the... did start filming, but then and then Joe Watts got injured, and so yeah. now it's kind of on hiatus. Maybe it's a few years away. I don't know, but what I do know is we have to do one thing before this episode ends, and we have to rank all... Nine. nine! Well, nine plus because of the uh, shorts. Oh, Jesus Christ. We have to rank all 11 Fast and Furious things. Oh, boy. Luckily, I saved my previous ranking and I edited quickly on the fly, so I'm ready. Okay, I did not. Oh, boy, I can't find my note. You want me to stall? Uh, yes, please. My perfect Fast and Furious movie, I would have to say, happens on a golf course. Uh, the entire movie is on a golf course. And it, they golf slowly, but then when they hop in the carts, that's where the action is. Like, it's a normal golf movie. Imagine a normal golf movie, like the one Shia LaBeouf is in, whose name I will never remember. Imagine that, but between every hole in the carts... It's a normal Fast and the Furious movie. So we're talking Nitro, we're talking street races, we're talking like drug lords, but only in between each hole. And then during the hole, it's, uh, it goes back to golf movie. And like, so everybody in the Fast Familia is wearing like polos and like maybe, well, I guess they just wear khakis, but with like the little golf hat that you see like Goofy wear in the Goofy cartoons where he's golfing. Like, with the poof on top. And then, I don't know who would be the caddies. That That's the weird question, I guess. I guess Dom's caddy would be... Who looks up to Dom? That's the real question. You know, it's going to be like the squire to the knight. So whoever looks up to Dom would be his caddy. And then... I've got some very bad news. What's up? I seemingly deleted my list, so we're going to fly by the seat of our pants. Well, okay. So, uh, you know, I, I like to think that... Uh, you go first. You know, I feel like there's a tradition on these these supplemental readings for the Fast and Furious series where you go first. Oh, really? I really feel like there's a precedent set. Oh, the joke. Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, so, what do you mean, the joke? I'm sorry, the totally normal thing where, where I go first. Uh, there What's was, the joke? There was this whole thing where we would say, like, you know, since I went first last time, I'll go first. We had this whole thing. It was a year ago. Look, all I know is the comedic timing works better if I go second. Oh, yeah, that's fair. We've established a pattern. So I think I'll go first this time. We'll see next year. Uh So it's difficult. But I think, okay. These uh, aren't numbered yeah, on I my kn- list. Okay, so I'm going to have to number them off on my fingers as I go. Are you ready? Yeah. So, number one, we've talked about it multiple times. I I actually think my list is significantly revised given time okay. and distance from these movies. We've talked about it multiple times. I can't keep up the illusion anymore. Uh, it's no doubt number one best Fast and the Furious movie is, of course, Fast Five. Absolutely. Maybe one of the best action movies ever made. Fast Five deserves its spot at number one. And unless Fast Nine and Ten do amazing things, it will not be dethroned anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, Number two... This one's difficult for me as well. uh, Because... I need to weigh whether or not something... How iconic it is. Uh, Number two, of course, is Too Fast Too Furious. Uh, The second best film in the franchise... Set the stage for everything that we have today. Going into number three, we did a weird thing in our rankings, did we? Yeah, a little bit. How so? We separated the last five minutes of one movie and and said it it could stand alone. Oh, shit, yeah. was that the last minutes of Fast Eight, Fast Seven, seven? Fast Seven? Yeah. I'm going to have to go last five minutes of Fast 7 for number three, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm, I just want to be up front with you and let you have that option. No, Fast 7 for sure. Very emotional. Cried like a baby. Number four... Oh, fuck, I have to get to 12. Yeah. Number four is definitely going to be Tokyo Drift. I'm a... Wait, am I a big fan of Tokyo Drift? No, wait. I got this mixed up. Number four is the Fast and the Furious... You, Did you just rank that a second? No, the second is Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, my bad. Keep up. It's the oh, second best movie to Fast Look, Five. I'm so slow. Number five is The Fast and The Furious. Okay. Uh, just because it, it created what we have now today, it is an insane point break ripoff with cars. They steal DVD players. Everyone says that. Uh, going into number five, these become harder. Number five. Shit. Number five, gotta be Los Bandoleros. All right, all right. The the art house film version of these films. Yeah, the art house version directed by Vin Diesel. Number six, halfway down the list, I'm going to give that to Hobbs and Shaw. Really? Middle of the road. I feel like Hobbs and Shaw is the most thematically consistent Fast and Furious film. Yeah. I uh, really, other than Fast Five, it really nails it. Uh Just the middle section I did not care for. Yeah, and that weakens it overall. It weakens it overall, but it's still in the top half. And then the bottom half, the losers, the losers division, uh, gotta go number seven being, I like fast six. Okay. No, Tokyo Drift over fast six. So I'm going to go seven Tokyo Drift. You're, okay, you did, you, oh my God, your list is so confusing. Seven's Tokyo Drift. Gotcha. Eight. Yeah. Is fast six. Okay. Still got four more of these. Yeah. Uh, coming at number nine. Gotta be. Oh, I hated the seventh one. Yeah, yeah. I did hate the seventh one. You did. Fate of the Furious gotta come in at number nine. Okay. Number ten. What have I missed? Uh, there's four? Four is just called Fast and Furious. What the fuck was four about? I don't remember. Four is number ten. Okay. Uh, number 11, of course, being Furious 7, because that movie is a piece of shit. Coming in at number 12, the worst possible thing that you can watch with your eyes is the turbocharged prelude to Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah. And that is John's updated seat-of-his-pants list without his list, and also I did not think about this today. Well, that's fine. Because I also didn't think about this, but our, our list is pretty similar, actually. Pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty similar. similar, uh, Number one for me is definitely Fast Five, without a doubt. And like you said, I don't think it's ever g- that might never change. Uh, this is where we start to differ. <laughs> so it's okay. really weird, weird that we really, differ on this one. Really, just the one. Okay. Uh, number two for me, it laid the foundation for the entire series. Without this movie, there would be no series. It has the pizza guy who was the director. Yeah, it the is, director might have did some creepy stuff. Look. Look, got, number two, it laid the foundation, created yeah. the characters. It's iconic. It's iconic. It is the Fast and the Furious. Number three is the last five minutes of Fast 7. How are our lists are like the same, they're, except for one weird thing. Yeah, they're very similar. Probably I'll, it's going to come up in your list sometime soon, though. Probably sometime soon in your list you're going to tell me thing, how uh, Fast and we, Furious We differ here. For number four, I put Fate of the Furious. I feel like really you liked Fate that much. I like the direction where it's going. I like the the introducing the villain and not killing them off. Yeah, so that the we have something to build to, mm-hmm. and I feel like Fate did a lot of good things for Dom's character, tied up a lot of loose ends by killing off people, yeah. and you know, good choices. I just I'm very optimistic for Fast Nine. Uh, number five is actually Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, so you're slightly, well, I guess if you, if you transposed it down by like one, maybe. Because I feel like Hods and Shaw's one of the more consistent ones, and I feel like as a spinoff, it's very middle of the road, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it was 12, so I put it in the middle of what I thought was the number. Okay. And so Hods and Shaw's in the middle. Number six is Tokyo Drift, because mm-hmm. it's like my, I don't know, 10th favorite anime that yeah. I've ever watched. Yeah, it's like, uh, what's the one about the, uh, Azumanga Dayo? Yeah, sure. It's like Azumanga Dayo and then, and then Tokyo Drift. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Azumanga Dayo. Uh, number seventh is the art house film Los Bandeleros, which, directed by Vin Diesel, you know. You can't say no to it. It's yeah. got those, those guys. Those guys who talk about oil. Uh, now I feel like I just sort of started listing them at this point. <laughs> okay. Uh, number eight is fast and furious. Absolutely not. Number nine Absolutely is, not. is fast six. What are you talking about? Fast 6 is way better than Fast and Furious. Number 10, I named Furious 7. Okay. I don't know if that was the name. I think that's actually the name of it. And now we get to the bottom of the barrel. I don't know if I have enough numbers. I'm just saying numbers at this point. You're at 11 and 12. You're there. All right. So 11 and 12, the bottom of the barrel. I have to say, number 11 did a lot for the series really, really put forth sort of like what was to come. They did number one and people are like, what's next? You did point break. What could be next? And number 11, let us know that this was going to be a different kind of thing that was coming next. Number 11, hands down, I am serious. I will go to court and testify. <laughs> Number 11 is the turbocharged pre-sequel to the Fast and Furious, whatever the fuck it's called. You are an oaf. That five-minute music video really just sets the tone of how bad of the mistake that is Too Fast, Too Furious, the number 12, with 12 bullets, and it still won't die, there is one good moment in that film and that is Ejecto Cuz and even that is a joke. It's the butt of the jokes of the rest of the series. It is the point of this franchise that people point to and laugh. And you know what? It's not invited to my lunch table. That's a Twitter meme going around. I'm dating this. It's not invited to my lunch table. It can sit in the corner by itself. And that is Henry's absolute <laughs> definitive ranking of the Fast and Furious franchise. Because I just remembered just now that that was a bit I did yeah, for the we entire series. A bit where I named mine, and it was a normal thing, and you named yours. And it was. Look, don't spell out what the bit is for the audience. They're smart. They can figure it out. Feel bad for liking Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, well, uh, this remains now and as always that uh, you are an obstinate Lummox and a uh, hater of art. Look, at least the Lummox planted trees. Might <laughs> be thinking of the Lorax. You are thinking of the Lorax. Look, Dr. Seuss made a lot of words. So with having ranked them... With this most recent delicious dish before us. I hope you enjoyed Hobbs and Shaw, dear fans. and if you haven't, and you listened to this, I hope you're curious enough to go see it and put all of these words into context. And also, shame on you. For not having seen it. Exactly. Because, look, this is the best action movie we're gonna get this year. I have a distinction in movie genres. It's not a comic book-based movie, so I... Like, I guess Endgame is an action movie to some degree, but to me it's on a different sort of lane. This lane is only for nitro-infused cars, and only one series is going to give you that this year, and that's The Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. And it's also the best Fast and Furious movie that's going to be released this year. That is absolutely correct. And it's way better than Mission Impossible. I haven't seen it. No one cocks their arms in Fast and Furious, though. Well look. Maybe Henry Cavill's in the next one, I don't know. Maybe. He's a he's a witcher now. So with having ranked the movies, there's only one thing left to do V. Do Oh I'm wrong. It me and Doofy. Uh, and that's for the social media. Oh man. You guys I'm gonna get through this so fast. Please. And furious. Wait, hold on. I'm going to do something that we haven't done before. What is it? Time is of the essence. Yes. We have to beat the clock. Oh my God. I am going to open this switch and I'm going to turn on the nitrous for Henry. Oh my God. I look, when you first sent me to that garage to get me modded out (laughs) with a nitro kit, I was excited. And then you never, you've never used it. I am so, look, if do it, I'm ready. This is the future of mankind. It's time to earn your upgrades, boys. And if you want to up your... (laughs) Jesus Christ! We built up that whole bit and you stumbled on the third fucking syllable. Holy shit. And if you want to earn your upgrades, all you have to do is send us a tweet at twitter.com at ZCPCWHJ. Because clarity is way better than a bit. And if you want to send us a longer thing that we can read really, really fast, all you have to do is send us an email at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. And we'll read it live on air, live on air, live on air. We're on Facebook. You can find us by searching zero credits podcast and the Facebook search bar. We sometimes post there. Uh, we're on Spotify. You can look for us in the podcast section of the Spotify playlist. Whatever. We're there. Do the thing! We're falling oh. behind! We're falling behind oh, quick! I need I, another! I have, I have to activate need, the second oh, nitrous tank. Another, they said the engine might explode if I do oh, it, here we but go. I gotta win! I gotta! Oh. <laughs> We are on Apple Podcasts. Please find us, leave us a rating, a review, and that will let us go up the charts at lightning fast speed. We are also the only thing that actually fucking matters is that if you use word of the mouth to tell your friends, tell your wives, tell your knives, tell your husbands, tell your man, tell your, the man in your life, tell the men, tell the men, tell men, tell men, tell men, tell men about us. No, men. no, he's spinning out of tell control. Men. He's spinning tell out of control. Out of control. Where Where the brake pads oh, are red. The engine, it's on His fire! The engine's on fire! Oh, I'm dying, John! John, why would you do this to me? It's like the end Speed Racer. <laughs> I never saw that movie. Oh, God, oh, there's so much I've never done! Well, Henry died. No, he's okay. Oh, thank God. Well, well. sometimes we twitch. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, indeed, we twitch. (laughs) I'm dizzy. And from all of us here at the Zero Credits, hold on. No. From all of us here at Toretto's Muscle Car Club, established 2001, you ride, you fight fast and furious, we want to wish you a happy week. Here comes the kryptonite is the only line I can think of. You used that already. I know. Here comes the kryptonite. I'm gonna have to bounce your head off the fender when this is all over. Ah, well, with all due respect, Captain. When this whole thing is over, we're gonna find a location, and I'm gonna knock your teeth so far down your throat you're gonna stick a toothbrush right up your ass to brush them. <laughs>